I'm gonna, but before I get there, I'm going to do something else here. Genesis 15 will be where I'm going to go. Uh, uh, you hear a lot of stuff. And uh, read stuff. And there's just stuff, a lot of stuff going on that's against the Bible and those that believe the Bible. And when I speak of the Bible, I'm talking about the King James English version, which comes from the Textus Receptus, not any other. Uh, I've taught this for many, many years. When I teach the Trail of Blood Baptist history, I always bring this up. And I, from time to time, I have people try to contradict this. When I say, as we go through Baptist history and church history, you understand church history is everything under the umbrella of Christianity. Baptist history is specialized because it's just strictly Baptist. But you really can't just teach Baptist history. You have to also teach church history to get, to get a true picture of how things were. Now, I don't know how everything was. I didn't live there. And you say, well, I know, well, I don't care what historian you know about. They didn't live there. Any history book you've ever read in school, you have world history, you have American history, uh, any kind of history book. Anybody that wrote those books, they didn't live through all of that. So how do they write that? They read other history books. So all history that we read, it's a matter of who wrote it and what they believe personally. And that's how they interpret things. So Pretty much history is an interpretation, except when you get the names and the dates and the places that can be absolutely verified, then you're not talking about somebody's opinion. I noticed that Bashir running for re-election governor, and he's really, really against uh, trying to convince people that he's, he's not an abortionist. If you have ever seen those ads on television, and I mean, but now when you see those things that he said and done, if you look at the bottom of them, every one of them have the source and the date. So you can go and check and see if he did. And the truth of the matter is he did say and do all that. First thing he did when he became governor of Kentucky is he opened up all of the abortion clinics that Matt Bevin had closed, the former governor. So there's no question that he's an abortionist. And everything else, he's just lying, just like Biden, lying and trying to, trying to create a, a uh, legacy for himself. Anyway, but as I talk about things that, that happened that affected Baptists, 
See, there are things that happen in government and in communities, states, provinces, that absolutely have an adverse effect on us. I'll give you one just real recently where they demanded that the churches shut down. Well, we didn't do it. And we wouldn't do it. There ain't no way in the world they could make us shut down. They'd have to come bring the law and take us out in handcuffs. At least take me out because I'm not doing it. I don't have to. I've got the Constitution and the Bill of Rights protecting me. Congress shall make no law with respect to the establishment of religion and the free exercise thereof. That's what the First Amendment to the Constitution says. And we're going to stick with it. But anyway, but... They may, I don't know, if, if they can get rid of the Constitution, if they can amend the, the Bill of Rights, they might be able to do something, and that will definitely have an adverse effect on us. Anyway, so things do have an effect on us. Uh, we talk about professors at the colleges, universities, University of Kentucky, Transylvania, Eastern, all of the all of the university houses. Do you think that hasn't had an effect on all of society, especially all the Western world? By having, by having those professors who are not only atheistic, they also are communist, some say socialist, but that's about the same thing. Do you think that hasn't effect, affected our society? That's where we get our school teachers from, from those universities. You think they haven't been taught by those uh, wicked professors? And they are. I, there's not much on television. I watch the, some of the reality shows, Mountain Men, stuff like that. But when there's nothing that, that on, there's not much that I care to watch. But I, so I watch that uh, BBC channel that has all the nature, the blue the blue planet and, and all that. And that David Attenborough, he's the one that's mainly the spokesman for that. Well, I looked him up. He's 97 years old. He's going to find out real soon what all this is about. All he talks about is evolution. I mean, it's so ridiculous. But anyway, everything has an effect on it. We may not know it directly, but it does have an effect on us. Well, I always bring up this date, 1229 A.D. Well, what in the world could have happened in 1229? It may not have a direct effect on us, but it certainly did on our brothers and sisters back then. And that was when the Catholic Roman Catholic Church declared the Bible to be a banned book. And I've had Catholics, oh, that didn't happen. There wasn't any council of Toulouse. Well, of course there was. <laughs> of course there was. And here it is. Read some of this stuff to you. February 1229 A.D. Now, there wasn't even any America, United States here then. I don't know whether even the Indians was here then. Anyway, the council of Toulouse... And here's, quote, one of the things said there. We prohibit, that means ban, laymen, that's members, possessing copies 
of the Old and New Testament. From the 1200s to the 1800s, papal leaders, well, the papal leaders are popes and all in his regime. They openly condemn the reading of the Bible in the vernacular. That means the language of the common people. They were all right with you having a Bible if you couldn't read it. They were all right with that. But not if you could read it. And even persecuted those caught with copies of the scriptures in their possession. Because Bible societies beginning in the 1800s, anyway, they wanted the war spread God's word. Yet the Vatican has not changed. That's Rome. That's where the, the empire of Rome is the seat of it. Papal Rome's opposition to pure Bible truth remains to this day. And this was printed... Uh, 2014. No, let's see. At the Council of Toulouse, papal church leaders ruled we prohibit laymen possessing copies of the Old and New Testament. We forbid them most severely to have the above books in the popular vernacular. That's the language of the people. Uh, the lords of the districts, that's the political shall carefully seek out the heretics. And you see at this time, that this Toulouse is in southern France. I haven't been to Toulouse. I've been to Lyon or Lyon, and that's not very far from here. The heretics, now you know who they were? They were the Albigensians. They were called that because of where they, Albis, where they were centered. But you know what they believed and practiced? Exactly the same thing we do. So they were our brothers and sisters, doctrinally. Uh, seek them out in dwellings, hovels, and forests. They were poor. Most of them were poor. And even their underground retreat, retreats shall be entirely wiped out. They were even meeting underground. Why were they doing that? Because they had to to live. They were dead as soon as they were found out. And they were persecuted by the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church uh, Council of Tarragona, that's in Spain. They rule that no one may possess the books of the Old and New Testaments in the Romance language. That's Spain, Spanish. And if anyone possesses, them he must turn them over to the local bishop within eight days after the promulgation of this decree so that they may be burned. They were burning the Bibles. That's the Roman Catholic Church. They claim they preserved the Bible, but they lie. Now the Council of Trent, I've talked to you a lot about the Council of Trent. That took place in 1545, uh, about 19 year long council. Roman Catholic Council, and that was called to combat the Reformation that was started by Martin Luther. <coughs> they placed the Bible on its list of prohibited books. 
Now the Council of Trent determines all of Catholic teaching today. And they forbade any person to read the Bible without a license from a Roman Catholic bishop or inquisitor. Now that, an inquisitor, he's one that called you before, before uh, their judges to inquire into what you believe in. And once, once you got in front of them, you didn't leave. You didn't leave healthy. That's where the tortures came from. Anyway, that if any, quote, that if anyone shall dare to read or keep in his possession that book without such a license, he shall not receive absolution till he has given it up to his ordinary. They said, now we're going to threaten you this. You'll never get your sins forgiven if you get caught reading the Bible. They said they were the only ones that had the power to forgive sins, Catholic Church. Uh, this came from the Council of Trent. Quote, since it is clear from experience that if the sacred books are permitted everywhere and without discrimination in the vernacular, in the common language of the people, there will be reasons of the boldness of men arise therefore, uh, therefrom more harm than good. Now, Jay Wiley, he wrote a book on uh, the Waldenses. Pretty good book. He says, the, he's pretty much an expert on the Catholic Church. It's history, dogmas, and genius, and prospects. Quote, the Latin Vulgate, that's where their Bible comes from, is the authorized standard in the Church of Rome, and that to be to the disparagement of the original Hebrew and Greek scriptures. What he's saying is, that the Latin Bible of the Catholic Church, the Vulgate, destroys the Hebrew and Greek manuscripts, the actual Bible. These are omitted in the decree by the Council of Trent and a translation substitute. All Protestant translations, such as our authorized English version, uh, are prohibited. Rome's attempt to keep the Bible from men has continued to recent times. Pope Pius VII denounced Bible societies and expressed shock at the circulation of the scriptures. This Pope declared, it is evident, quote, it is evidence from experience that the Holy Scriptures, when circulated in the vulgar tongue, that's our language, have through the temerity of men produced more harm than benefit, unquote. And it just, it goes on and on. Pope Gregory XVI, Leo XII, called it the Bible, the gospel of the devil. Uh, he condemned Bible societies, societies and he said, uh, this has long been condemned by the Holy Chair. Well, do you know who the Holy Chair is? It's the Pope. They call him the Holy See. It's the Pope. When he speaks in that chair, he's infallible. That's the, uh, here's another, Leo Thirteenth does more harm than good. When it's out in the language of the people. But you know they burned men at the stake. For, for translating the Bible. William Tyndale. He was hunted down like an animal. And finally caught. And they burned him at the stake. Burned him alive. Because he had translated the Bible. Into English. Anyway. Now if anybody ever tells you. That the Catholic Church. 
has preserved the Bible, you tell them they don't know what they're talking about. That's a dirty, rotten lie. And say, why would you do that? Say all that, because I want you all to know about it. That's why. What somebody say, be forewarned, it's to be forearmed. Uh, anyway, let's go to Genesis chapter 15. Hadn't been too long ago I was in this chapter, but different for different reason. <clears throat> it's a short chapter, I'm just going to read it. And after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram. Now notice he's called Abram now. A little later he'll be called Abraham because he's going to be the father of many nations. But now his name is Abram, that's his original name. These things came in a vision, and God has spoken in different ways, different times to the fathers through the prophets. So here Abram's got a vision. I don't believe God uses visions nowadays. He uses his word. We've got the completed Bible, and that's what many, many people didn't have was the Bible, especially the Bible in their own language. And we've got it. It's available. We don't need visions. We don't need uh, uh, prognostications from different people. We've got the Word of God. And this is all we're going to get until Christ comes. <laughs> anyway, what came in this vision said, Fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? Well, Abram was a rich man, and he had a steward of his house. He had a houseman, ran his house. Abram saying, I'm getting old, Lord, and you're saying I'm going to have a, a heritage. I'm too old to have a baby, and so is my wife. I guess Eliezer's going to be, but no, that's not. And Abram said, Behold to me, thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my, my house is mine heir. He's talking about Eliezer. <coughs> and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Well, what about me being so me and my wife being so old? Well, God said this is going to come out of your. And he brought him forth abroad. And said, look now toward heaven. And tell the stars. If thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. And I don't even have a kid. That's what Abram's saying. Now God knew that Abram could not number the stars. Scientists didn't know that up until the 1800s. I think some of them had attempted to count the stars 
And I think they came up with something like 2,222. Now I'll give them this. I don't think I could look out there and count 2,222 stars, even on a clear night. I think I'd lose track someplace. But you can't look out that far. And the fact of the matter is, we now know that, that we can't count the stars. One fellow said there's enough stars that, uh, that everybody on the planet Earth could own trillions of them. <laughs> That's a bunch. Well, God already knew that. And you know why God already knew that? Because he made the stars also. He made every one of them and named them and numbered them. And he believed, verse 6, he, that is Abram, believed in the Lord, and he, the Lord, counted it to him for righteousness. So Abraham, Abram, Abraham, we find out in the book of Galatians and Romans that Abraham is the spiritual father of those that, that believe the gospel. Amen. So how, how so? Because Abraham was saved by grace through faith in the promise of God. Well, he counted to him for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees. Now it's amazing. I think you can find this in that Halley's handbook. Now I found that other copy, brother, that we was looking for. <laughs> uh that it was in the 1900s that they, I think it was early 1900s, might have been late 18s, but anyway, in one of these archaeological digs in the Holy Land, of that area over there, they dug up Ur of the Chaldees because up until that time, all of the, all the intelligentsia said there never was an Ur of the Chaldees. The Bible's wrong. But lo and behold, <laughs> they dug it up. And that's the way it is everything. There's never been one word of this disproven, folks. And he said, I'm the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. Now you know what land he's talking about. He's in Palestine, in Israel. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, take me in a heifer, that's a female cow, young, of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. That's all the animals that were used in offerings. This is way before Moses. 500 years before Moses. And he took unto him all these and divided them in the midst. The animals. And laid each piece one against another. But the birds he divided, divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses. Abram drove them away. Those as vultures. And when the sun was going down. A deep sleep fell upon Abram. And lo and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram. Know of a surety that thy seed. 
shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them 400 years. Now, do you understand here? God is telling Abram this 500 years before this takes place. We talk about prophecy. Well, this is a fulfilled prophecy. This was fulfilled absolutely like the Lord said. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. He's talking about when they went into captivity in in Egypt. And he's talking about bringing them out of Egypt after 400 years. And, And God judging Egypt. Well, Pharaoh drowned him in the Red Sea. And afterward they shall come out with great substance. Well, they came out of Egypt. Where'd they get all of the materials to build the tabernacle? I mean, they had to have not only bronze and all that wood and all that fabric, leather. They had to have gold and silver and a lot of it. (laughs) About this auditorium is 60 foot. So to that back window, that, that big window right there, you got one, two, three, that fourth window there, about that end of it, forward to that corner. That's about how long the tabernacle was, about 45 feet. It was 15 feet tall. I don't think that that ceiling line is a full 15 feet. I think it's probably about 13, somewhere in the 12, 13. So it'd be a little bit taller than that. So you've got two walls that long and taller than that. And then you've got one wall that's uh, 40 foot wide. Uh And that's covered, those boards are covered with solid gold. Now gold is $2,000 an ounce right now. How much money do you think it would cost to cover that wall and that wall and go across here? Not quite this wide, but. I don't think we can count that high. So did they come out of Egypt with uh, great substance? And that doesn't count the silver. All of the posts that held up the hangings on the outer court, they had silver sockets. You had silver sockets for the gold standards, plus all the other stuff. I don't know how much money they came out of there with, but they they sure got a bunch. And the Lord said they're going to get it. Verse 15, he said, And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. That's Abram. Well, he's... 
at this time he's just about 100. And he was 175 when he died. That's good old age. <laughs> but in the fourth generation they shall come hither again. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. I'm not going to talk about that today. I did the other day. And it came to pass that when the sun went down. And it was dark. Behold a smoking furnace. And a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. On the altar where you had those pieces laid out. And in the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. The Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, and the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Rephaims, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. He's just telling all this land. Who now populates it at that time? So all those people are living there. Yeah, but God says that land belongs to the Jews. People say, well, what are we doing here in America? We stole this land from the Indians. I don't think we stole it from them. They weren't using it. I mean, you know, here we got. Now I think the Lord put us here. I don't know what we're doing with it now because they're, they're about to destroy everything. But anyway, God said this land belongs to his people, the descendants of Abraham. All right. He gave them the borders. And this is before they ever got it. From the river Euphrates, which goes right through the middle of Iraq. To the river of Egypt. Can anybody doubt that the river of Egypt is the Nile River? That's the river of Egypt. Egypt is built on that river. So is much of Africa. Anyway. There's your borders. Far more than they have right now. I was in a airport in Frankfurt, Germany. I guess I was waiting on a flight to come back to the States in one of those trips I took. And there's a fellow sitting there. We're waiting in that airport. Of course, all of them with them walking around with submachine guns. The guards were. Remember seeing them? Yeah. And uh, I struck up a conversation with the fellow and he was an Israeli. He was a Jew from, from Israel. You come to find out that as they all have to go to the service over there, girls and boys alike, they all have to serve a certain time in the military. He had been a, a fighter pilot. So, he, you know, he's <laughs> sharp dude. And so I'm talking to him, and I get to talking to him about the Bible. I said, let me ask you something. You all got, I know you all believe the Old Testament. I know you don't believe the New Testament. You don't want anything to do with that, but the Old Testament. And I said, what about Genesis 15 there? Where Abraham, or Abram, God told Abram that your land goes from Euphrates to the Nile River. I said, do, do you all realize that? He said, well, of course we know that. 
yeah, we know that. I said, you're going to get that? When you go, I couldn't tell me much. He said, sure, we know all about that. So this is not a secret to the Israelis. Now, I know we got some brethren that say that the Jews no longer exist. But I think they're 100% wrong on that. The Jews are alive and well. <laughs> God's nation is alive and well. He's, he's faithful. Anyway, and what do you think is going to happen when they begin to make their push to go to the Euphrates River and to go down to the, to the Nile River? There's going to be some trouble over there. That's why I, I'm not remotely interested in going over there. <laughs> I'll say I'll live there someday, but not now. Anyway, there's a lot in this chapter, and I think I brought you some of it. But here when God told him, uh, verse 7, I'm the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. Now, so you see, Abraham and Sarah, they were Chaldean by birth. Now, people that live in Iraq, if they're native there, they're Chaldeans. And they all call themselves Chaldeans. So all those names of those countries, they, they change. Depends on who's in power. What, uh, see, Persia, uh, that was uh, Iran. So all those names change. And those people that are there, and they're, fa- they're from there, they don't change with them. They still, they're Chaldean. And that's what Abraham was. Well, the Jews came from Abram and Sarah. And so their background is Chaldean. Except for the Arabs, if you remember that because they were got anxious and didn't wait on the Lord, Sarah, his wife, she took her handmaid, the, the Egyptian handmaid, and got Abraham to go into her. And they had a child, Ishmael. And that's where the Arabs came from. Ishmael came from Sarah, not from Abraham, and Hagar, Sarah's handmaiden. So they're actually half Chaldean and half Egyptian. That's why you can look at them and see there's a difference in them. That's where they came from. Anyway, there's a whole lot to that, but that's the origin of them. And I don't care who tells you it's not, that is. And where'd that come from? That came from the Word of God. That came from the book of Genesis. Uh, Anyway, so God says that when Abram said, Whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said, Take me a heifer and she goat and a ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. He's going, he says, Make those offerings. And when, when God accepts those offerings, that will be the proof of my covenant with you. So he took them all. And divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against another. But the birds divided he not. 
and look at verse uh, 13. He tells him that. And the Lord, verse 17, that when the sun went down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying unto thy seed have I given this land. God has absolutely certified his promise to Israel, to the nation of Israel, about where their land is. Now, there's a whole lot of people, including Jimmy Carter, the former president, that are anti-Israel. Do you know the only, the only world leader that has ever officially recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel is Donald J. Trump, our former president. Not another president ever did what uh, President Trump did. And Jimmy Carter did everything to destroy them. And he's supposed to be a, he's a Southern Baptist. He was a Sunday school teacher. He couldn't teach Sunday school here. Jim, you're a little old church and you, you wouldn't let the president teach it? No, I wouldn't even call on him to pray if he was here. I wouldn't say anything about him. He doesn't stand out above my Lord. Anyway, so God confirmed his covenant with Abram with this offering here. All these offerings made by blood, if they were made properly, God accepted them. Now the ultimate offering, the ultimate sacrifice is Jesus Christ. Every one of these blood offerings, even the meal offerings, every single one of them are looking forward to the one offering of Jesus Christ when he died on the cross. He buried and rose again the third day. <coughs> we don't make those offerings now. No, nobody else should. I think there's some that try to do that. But they're wrong. 100% wrong. The offering has been made 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ died on the cross. <laughs> That's the only offer we know about right there. Anyway. Notice... Abram's carefulness in the sacrifice that he made. He did it just like the Lord said. And look at verse 11. When the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. The fowls. Now I got some to disagree with this. But pretty much, you can tell the context that birds not necessarily represent something good. Now on the ark, there was a raven and there was a dove. Well, then you've got the birds fill that mustard tree in Matthew 13. And I say those birds were evil birds. 
And I say these birds, with reference to the sacrifice, they're evil. And my proof of it is this, that when they came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. I believe they were vultures. And they had no business on the sacrifice of God. That meat wasn't there to feed the vultures. It was there to offer to God Almighty. And Abram was very careful. First, he was careful to make the sacrifice according to God's command. And you know, really, people that know the Lord ought to be extremely careful that we try to obey the Lord according to his word. Now, Brother Satan had that little deal this morning. Those women should be very careful and go to the word of God and study God's word and find out if what they're saying is true. That's what the Bereans did. They searched the scriptures to find out whether these things be true. And when you're going around spreading word, you better make sure that you're spreading the proper word. Now, now when, you, when you're preaching the truth, you're spreading the truth. Amen. Go ahead and do it. But you better make sure that it's correct according to God's word. Because you're getting into trouble if you don't. Anyway, Abraham was very careful and he sacrificed to do it according to God's command. Now look at verse 17. <clears throat> it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark. When the sun went down, Abram had to have patience. He had to wait all day till the sun went down. He had patience. God visited at dark. He said, well, I, I, I want something now. Patience, patience, patience. Make sure it's right and have patience in it. And then he was very vigilant to guard the sacrifice. Well, now, for us, if you're saved, you're a member of this church, your sacrifice not only is how you live your life, it's what you're doing in your service to God. It may not appear to be much to anybody else out there. I'm sure that the truth of the Lord's churches does not matter to probably 99% of people out there. I'm sure it doesn't. You can tell by the way they talk. But does that say that it doesn't matter to the Lord? Well, the Bible tells us that the Lord loved his church and died for it. Well, the church is not all of his people. He died for all of his elect, but he died for his kind of church in some special way. I can't tell you much more about it than that, but he loved the church and gave himself for it. The assembly is what the word church means. And if the Lord loves his church, shouldn't we? And there are a lot of people who say, well, I'm just going to, I'm not going to, 
I'm not going to fool with the church. Well, I agree that all churches are not the Lord's. But if, you, if you've got a church that is the Lord's church, you ought to try to love that church and be loyal to it as much as the Lord loved it. A lot of people don't. They'll, I'll tell you what, when something happens, the very first thing to go in their lives is the church. The very first thing, not the last thing, the first thing. Well, here, a church is assembly. If you don't have, have the assembly there, you don't have an assembly. We've got to have that. Anyway, so very careful. Abram was very careful in his sacrifice uh, to be according to the command. Uh, when Moses and the holy Ab and Bezalel, when they began to build on the tabernacle, Exodus 25, the Lord says, see that you build this according to the pattern. Much before that, a thousand years before that, God gave Noah instructions for the ark. Now a lot of people run their ungodly mouths about the ark project up there in Williamstown, Kentucky. Will it float? They didn't build it to float. They built it to show you that the ark was real. It was built, and it definitely could hold all that it had to hold. Amen. And that's what they've proven up there. But I'll tell you what Noah did. Noah built the ark according to God's command. Yes. And you know what? The ark did exactly what the ark was supposed to do. They said, well, how could it sail? didn't have to. Where was your landing gear? Where was your mooring lines? Where was you going to moor? When the ark was lifted up, that was how many cubits above the tallest mountain? Where were they going to sail to? There wasn't a port to sail to. The ark wasn't built to sail. The ark was built to be a floating warehouse. And that's exactly what it did. I said, well, marine engineers. Marine engineers have proven that the ark, the dimensions of the ark, were just about perfect. Do you know that the ark would have had to go straight up, end to end, and then tip over to capsize. That's how stable the ark was in the water. Especially when it was loaded. Because it goes down. The ark did. Well now why? Because Noah built the ark according to God's pattern. Moses built the tabernacle according to the pattern. Solomon built the temple according to God's pattern. They didn't go into the ark until God sent them in. And then God shut them in. They didn't shut themselves in. God shut them in. And the tabernacle. They didn't use the tabernacle 
until God put his approval on it. And that was the Shekinah glory. And the temple, they didn't use a temple, even though they had it built and did everything in their power to do it according to the pattern. But when God came down with the Shekinah glory and filled the Holy of Holies, then they began to use the temple. And do you know what? Jesus Christ built his kind of church on himself during his public ministry. That gives you probably, using our calendar, 30 to 33 A.D., those three and a half years. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my assembly, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He built his church, and then just like the ark of Noah, the tabernacle of Moses, and the temple of Solomon, the church didn't get to use it right off. Jesus got it all together. He set some of the church first apostles. But he said now in Acts 1.8, he said, tarry you here and you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you and then you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And that was the last building that God gave us. Well, look, he built the ark, he built the tabernacle, he built the temple, and he built the Lord's church. And absolutely, with every one of them, they had to be built according to God's eternal pattern. And that's why they worked. Well, what about the church? Yeah, I know it never was what the world liked. What the world looked at. Neither was the ark. Neither was the tabernacle. And they hated the temple. And they finally tore it down. But what about the church? Well I'll tell you. The Lord's church has suffered. His churches have suffered. But they're still here. He said lo I'm with you always. Even to the end of the age. Because they were built according to the pattern. Abram was very careful in his sacrifice. He kept it according to the command of God. He was patient with it. They had to wait on the day of, until the day of Pentecost. The church was not started on the day of Pentecost. That, that is heresy. That's not in the Bible. That wasn't the purpose of the day of Pentecost. The purpose of the day of Pentecost was that the Lord might put his approval on it and empower it. That's exactly what he did. And then Abram was vigilant to guard the sacrifice. God help us to be vigilant to guard our sacrifice. I mean stand up for the whole counsel of the word of God. That's where our vigilance needs to be. Do you not know that, that the Lord, his church, and his gospel 
the word of God, are under the attack. Don't you know the vultures are coming in on what we've got? I read this thing about Roman Catholicism. Uh, that David Attenborough, he's an anti-God. All of those evolutions, they're out there all over. They're, they're laughing at the Bible. And don't you give in to them. You stand up. You guard our, this sacrifice. They're attacking not only the gospel. They're attacking the person of Christ. He's the God-man. He's the eternal Son of God. And all of these attacks are against him. The LGBT homosexuals trying to teach that Jesus was a homosexual. They're all teaching that. And they're a bunch of liars or a bunch of demons. The work of Christ is under attack. Of course, it always has been. We need to drive away the vultures. The vultures come to us in the way of ungodly philosophy. Didn't Paul tell us to beware of philosophy and vain deceit? Beware of science falsely so-called. Evolution and millions of billions of years. People say, oh, well, that, that's, that's just a fact. It is not. It is not a fact. The idiotic reports. You see these animals. They do things. To keep alive. And they've always done them. But the goofy evolutionists say they adapted. They developed. What about the penguins? And how they fight off 60 degree below zero and 100 mile an hour winds. The way they do it now is the way they've always done it. They haven't adapted to anything. Where would they get the mind to adapt? I love my little dog. I hate to admit she's not human. I reluctantly admit that. But I watch her and she does things that dogs do. I didn't teach her how to do it. And she didn't learn how to do it. She does it by instinct. It's in her. And that's the way all animals are. We are not animals. These kids are raised up being taught by these stupid so-called teachers that they're animals. You are not an animal. You're made in the image of God. Ungodly philosophy. Science falsely so-called. Modern thought. Modern versions of the Bible. Theological institutions. Talk show host. I don't watch it. But I hear people talking about the view. And the idiots that are on there. And the things that they talk about. And they have no earthly idea what they're talking about. But the worst part of it is they've got a big following 
a bunch of goofball women follow them. Surely no men. Maybe there are some. <coughs> the Bible tells us to contend earnestly for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. The gospel of God. The substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. And we need to speak often of it. Let's see. I think Brother Campbell read that this morning. Somebody, somebody read it this morning. Maybe, maybe Brother James. I don't know. Anyway, you read the scripture where it talks about the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's all four of them that, that we mentioned. And we need to talk about that. You pray in public. You better do that. You better identify what God you're praying to. We need, we need to guard our sacrifice. We have a living sacrifice with our bodies. Romans 12. Uh, present your bodies a living sacrifice. And we need to guard it because the vultures will come down. It'll come down to us. I don't know about you. Have you ever had doubts? You say, yes, I'm saved, but have you ever had doubts? I've had, I've never doubted the Lord. I was saved just before I was nine years old. I've never doubted the Lord. I've never doubted his word. But I have doubted me. And there's been times I had every reason to doubt me. Because I wasn't showing much fruit. I don't know whether I'm showing any now. I hope I'm showing a little bit. But Satan will play on your mind. Your flesh will play on your mind. And cause you to doubt eternal things. All of this evolution talk. And it's widespread. Folks, it's all over. You talk to people out there, they have already accepted that this world is billions of years old. The Bible is a myth. And we came from pond scum. The majority of people have accepted that because it has been, they've been brainwashed by the government schools from kindergarten on. Even on the cartoon shows. There's one there on the, with dinosaurs. But they've got dinosaurs with people. And then they say, well, dinosaurs never live with people. Sure, there were dinosaurs, but they were made on the sixth day just like all the other land animals were. Anyway, John said in 1 John that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may believe on him, you have eternal life in Christ Jesus, it is eternal life, you'll never lose it, he'll never leave you nor forsake you, and he said he wrote these things that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe on him, and that's to all of us that are saved. 
People get all ambitious and want to do this and that. The station in life changes. <clears throat> Sometimes people think they outgrow these simple pursuits, but drive those thoughts away. Let me tell you what. <clears throat> you mentioned your cousin or nephew dying. I'm sorry. But that's the way of the earth. That's the way of all the earth. That's the way we're all going to go unless the Lord comes. Prior to it, that's how we're all going to get out of here. We're going to carry his feet first. I've already outlived. I'm on bar time now. We're all going. And when you get ready to go, all of these David Attenboroughs and Bill Nye, the science guy, they're not going to be anywhere around Who have you got? Got the Lord and His Word. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. I and my Father are one. That's what we've got. They don't have that. Amen. The daily grind of life. Earning a living. You have to earn a living. You have to. They say, well, I just don't have time to serve the Lord. You better drive those fowls away. You better drive those vultures away. And then you got the temptations. It's hard to watch anything, regular programming on television, that ain't somebody talking filthy or doing something filthy. I resent the commercials when they got two grown men kissing each other on the lips or two women. I hate it. Amen. But what's that doing to our young people? They're thinking it's okay. God says it's abomination. You better drive those fowls away. Well, there's plenty of things that enter into life that serve us vultures. And we need to drive them all away.